Welcome to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. Gail Stewart here, your producer and co-host. I just got back from the Borrego Springs Film Festival. What a great event. Amazing location. Great people. Great films. And we have a special guest, the one and only Fred G., the Borrego Film Festival founder. Super cool guy. Listen up. He explains what makes a great film, a film that gets selected to show at the festival. Conflict is, is where we have the question, are you the good guy or the bad guy, or are you in between? But whatever the situation is, the people that have to deal with the situation have to deal with this conflict, either internally or externally. More with Fred G. coming up. But first, joining me today, Raul Sandlin. And you recently saw the Whitney Houston biopic, right? Yeah, I'm going to be talking about biopics and how to put one together. Yeah, the reviews of that show were so-so. I don't know. You saw it. What did you think? Well, well, that's what I want to say. Biopics in general are so-so. All right. (laughs) Okay. All right. And joining us on the other side of our table here is Dr. Stacey Hankinson. You're going to talk about Elvis. Now, I saw that movie. It's a timely piece with the recent passing of Lisa Marie. Yes, that was so sad, my God. Anyhow, we are going to be right back, so sit tight. You are listening to KNSJ, San Diego's only social justice network, and the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. So you already have a script, you want to enter it into a festival, you may want to start with a smaller one, like the Borrego Springs Film Festival. They received more than 360 films this year and selected only 70 for screening at the Borrego Springs Performing Arts Center. Founder Fred G. tells us what that selection entails. The story has to be consistently coherent, clearly stated, well-developed with the visuals, uh, and it doesn't matter what kind of story at that point, whether it's animation or it's a documentary or whatever. If the story is incoherent or choppy because of the editing uh, or just kind of weak as far as the development of either the characters or the situation in which the characters are in, uh, it's not going to make it because there are too many other people that have got it right. And so we, we look at that as one criteria. The other criteria is simple uh, logistics. Uh, is the sound muddy? Is it in focus? I mean, this seems silly, but we've gotten some submittals that, that uh, they're grainy, their sound is muddy, their their dialogue is muddled, uh, and, and all those things. We don't tell these people about that. I mean, some of our reviews are kind of harsh, but uh, it's really up to the filmmaker to determine on a, as objective a level as they can their own product. And if they can't do it, that's why they need somebody else to look at it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so one of the things that we're looking at is uh, have they edited it correctly? Mm-hmm. And correctly means good continuity again, ha- makes the story move. Is the overall project engaging? Mm-hmm. Because if you have no audience engaged, don't matter how good or bad it is. More insight from Borrego Springs Film Festival founder Fred G coming up, but stay tuned right now for Raul Sandalin's take on the structure of biopics.
I saw the Whitney Houston biopic over the holidays. If you ever, rem- if you remember the VH1 behind the music where they'd oh, look I at another, remember. Yeah. yeah, another artist or band each week. Those were technically biopics, and of course, there's been the Bohemian Rhapsody, the Elton John, Judy Garland meeting, uh, being the Ricardos. That was a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. Aaron Sorkin wrote that one. And I want to come back to that one because it was so good. Yeah, it was great. I deconstructed that one too. Yeah. So there are a lot of biopics out there or uh, other movies that borrow from biopics. Um, so what I want, I want to talk about a few things. First of all, biopics and using that genre are a viable way to find interesting stories. Of course, these are interesting people who have lived interesting lives so we can find interesting stories. And we've touched on this, the intellectual property aspect of this. That's really super important when you're doing yeah. a biopic, right? It's, yeah. Yeah, you got to have that. You have to ha- own the intellectual property or at least get permission to use some of it. And it's a double-edged sword. It can cut you, but if you get the exclusive rights or the rights to use the intellectual property and work with a fam- the family, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. you can, you know, carve out a little place for yourself. Absolutely. You know, which nobody else can touch. So it's, you know, goes both ways. So again, biopics uh, are a good place to find viable, interesting stories. The public already knows a little bit about the person, a little bit about the history, but they want to know more. Um, There's always, you know, more juicy details underneath the, yeah. the covers, right? You just expose it. And and you talk with people that knew them firsthand, right? They want to dig deeper. Right. And again, another of the being the Ricardos with the interviews where they interviewed the script writers or mm-hmm. the screenwriters mm-hmm. of the I Love Lucy show. But come back to that maybe. Here's the other side of this. Biopic is also kind of a dirty word. Why? You know, because they're seen as cheesy, hallmark, soap opera. But there's so many of them out. Made for TV. No, just traditionally, they're seen as melodrama. Mm -hmm. Often, you know, just middle class brats having, you know, a bad life. You know, (laughs) musicians, rock stars, ODing and breaking up kind of stuff. Right. And one of the reasons why biopics get such a you know, bad reputation is because they're so predictable. They're very formulaic. And I want to go through today uh, the six elements to that formula and then some ways on how to break through that. I think that it's been a a change in that attitude. There's been more of a popularity about them. And I don't think there's the stigma that maybe was once there. I don't know. There's certainly a lot of them coming out. So whatever, whatever sells, I think they throw what they can up against the wall. Well, yeah, we're we're all right on this. Mm -hmm. Biopics have this sort of cheesy reputation. However, as we've seen with the renaissance of TV and now post-COVID, the renaissance of movie making in general, Mm -hmm. people are taking a new shot at an old, you know, an old formula. And that's what I want to talk about today. So there's six elements. First of all, the childhood. You want to introduce the person, early skill sets, early friends, early rivals that are going to come back to haunt the person later. That's number one. Number two, the process process of making it, you know, gigging at the bars, the miles on the road, all of those things. Number three, the other people, the B, C, D, E, F stories, Mm -hmm. the friends, family, romantic interests, 
the rivals, you know, the obstacles. That's number three. Then you have the f- number four, making it, enjoying it, um, living the dream. Then number five, the problems that develop, the fall from grace, the negatives, the problems with those relationships and friendships that we introduced later. And then ultimately number six, the resolution. And I'll just say one thing here. It could have a happy ending. It could have a tragic ending. Or it could also have an open ending, leaving on a mystery or a question to be resolved later Mm -hmm. at some other time. I want to say this. I saw the Aretha Franklin biopic. Wow. It follows that formula exactly. I mean, it starts in the church when she's singing in her father's church, you know, and then uh, there's an incident, a bad incident, and then she can't wait to get out from underneath him. And she just, you know, she marries this real rough guy and it's, it's horrible marriage, horrible marriage, but he starts to get her, you know, she, well, she was so good. You couldn't keep her down, right? You just, her voice was just too powerful. And so, uh, but it follows that formula you just gave, uh, just to the T. Absolutely. And if you've ever seen a biopic, hopefully you recognize that, you know, 38 second version, because we've seen them over and over. Absolutely. That was great. Definitely. Interesting. So now what we want to do is, as Stacy's observed, a lot of the newer biopics are taking that formula and figuring out new ways to tweak it, just like we've seen in all sorts of uh, movie making, Mm -hmm. mixing genres, you know, going outside of genres. So this is, you know, what what people are doing with biopic. It, it's a lot like what we talked about last week with the, the nostalgia for a time period. And I think in in that way, it's a nostalgia for us for a singer or an actor, or an artist that we love. Sure, if we yeah. love, love yeah. the '70s, we want to see people from the '70s. Why are biopics cheesy? Well, the most cheesy, the worst biopics are too chronological. Somebody said, okay, this is their life. We all live on a timeline. Let's just follow the timeline. However, people live on a timeline biologically, but psychologically, we're always jumping back and forth. Psychologically, we don't live on a, you know, a, an arrow of time. Mm-hmm. So try to break up that timeline. Mm-hmm. Use flashbacks, flash forwards, you know, jump around back and forth. So we're not just following, you know, then she turned 10, then she turned 15, sure. et cetera, et cetera. So, so some of the ways to make a biopic better are to play with the formula and mm-hmm. that timeline. Taking those six elements and just changing the order would be a quick way of doing that. Having other interesting characters, having an historical or epic background, you know, other news events, the Apollo moon landing, Inserting dream scenes, weird points of view, like being John Malkovich, where we see a lot of stuff through his actual That's actually a really good idea. Those are good ideas because they break up the monotony of the chronological timeline. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Having minor characters tell the story. The janitor, a child who's now an adult. Things like that. Focusing on a limited point of time, like being the Ricardos, where it only takes place within one, one week. week. But that was exactly. he compressed. Aaron Sorkin what? compressed many incidents yes. over through, through yeah. flashbacks. But, but, but the that action. was the thing. That was the magic of that movie. Is yeah. that Aaron Sorkin was he knew that there were huge, big 
quakes of events in that in that couple's life, and he brought them all together to happen in one week. He that was it was not but, true, but, but it, that's that's how he told the that's story. Exactly, that's it's the a vehicle. Really good mm-hmm. way to do that. Yeah, really so, good. Uh, so that is it for bio. Oh, that's a very and good. Coming, yeah, r- new genre. We're seeing you know n- uh, you know new twists on an old theme. Absolutely, absolutely. Stay tuned. We've got Dr. Hankinson coming up. She's going to be talking about Elvis. Elvis is in the house, right? Uh, Right. And you're listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio on KNSJ, San Diego's only social justice network. Welcome back to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. I'm Gail Stewart here with my co-host Raul Sandlin, Dr. Stacy Hankinson, and you brought Elvis with you, right? I did. I did. I, I, it's such a timely piece right now with the sad passing of Lisa Marie. So I watched it all three hours of it, and I'm ready to talk about it. Um, so this piece, you know, 2022 came out. Um, Warner Brothers grossed 33. million dollars making it the third most highest the third highest grossing biopic guess what the first one was elton john Mm. rocket man bohemian rhapsody was was, how about aretha did she make it no respect no i I, i've just got the first three here Mm -hmm. um the second one is straight out of compton oh yeah that was good oh yeah that was great i love that movie and then elvis is third so so it did it did very well it's a boz lerman um movie and it's starring of course austin butler and and tom hanks who i Though such a big part of the movie, I often forget that he's in it. You know, I don't think of him as being in it, but he he was very significant as the Colonel Tom Parker. Um, So what I, you know, I want to talk about the movie itself, but I I do want to also just kind of interweave Lisa Marie and her, just her life and how it intertwined. And, And so she died at 54. She was born in 1968. She was born at the height of his career which is really notable. Um, Elvis and Priscilla separated when she was four years old. And she, when he died, she was nine years old. So, you know, very young, but still had a a big part of his life. Um, One of the parts for me that was just really, um, there's many things we could talk about in terms of the movie, but if we just kind of hone in for a moment on Lisa Marie, I, I really was touched after just having known about her death in that scene. You guys both saw it, right? Uh, yes. The scene where, you know, so many people throughout the movie are manipulating him and um, especially the colonel. And Priscilla says, well, you don't have to do these things. I love you and your daughter loves you. I thought that was such a poignant part. Did, did that strike you that same way? That it- there were so many, so many really great scenes in that. I think the music, some of the music scenes where he shows up on Beale Street and you know and hangs out, and uh, there was just. I mean, I loved the first part of that movie. Loved it. Only the first part. Only the first part. Mm. Yeah, the second part was just way too sad. But that goes to Raul's point where... The plot and structure, you know, you always have to ask yourself, is this the right length, again, for this audience, this genre, etc.? Sure. And and I, I just want to hover over that point, though, that 
that I was mentioning previously that I really felt that from the movie and in honor of Lisa Marie, this segment or my, my part of it, at least, I just want to say that the movie really did convey that feeling to me that perhaps in the whole world, it really was just those two that, that cared about him. And there were so many vultures and so many people taking advantage of him that it highlighted that even like a, toddler you know that you could you could tell that the that she loved him and you know he really just had two people that that really really cared about him was was my feeling i agree with that i think well his mother obviously but then she, she died was, she was gone yeah she point. was died yeah, yeah yeah she's she she passed on so that was sad too and they were his family mm-hmm. and, and they yeah. were also his living family that probably got a little bit of a say in the movie also so well i do know that lisa marie said i uh, listened to an interview with her and she said you know it took me like a couple like almost five days to process the movie after she saw it because of the of the emotional roller coaster right she must have gone through uh watching that with the colonel and him living it out at the in las vegas for the last days of his life right and she was repeatedly in support of it and even perhaps more so than priscilla because priscilla took on the ignition or you know the momentum of her daughter um, after hearing her go so so publicly positive about the movie, mm. there's much that you know also could be said aside from aside from the aspect of Lisa Marie, the whole question of the Graceland that actually was not Graceland. Some people wondered that if you know the set was actually filmed in Graceland, but it wasn't. It's changed over the years. So if it was a 1950s Graceland, there was much more uh, land around it. Right, and, I've and been now, to yeah. I've been to Graceland. I have too, and yeah. now this Memphis has grown up right. around. Right, sure, it, so sure, sure. Did yeah. it look authentic having yeah. been there? The, yeah, the set looked, absolutely. I thought so. Uh, for for nineteen fifties, yeah, because yeah, it, it had to be out in the boonies way back when, and right. now it's kind of in the middle of the city. Although right. it's all fenced off and stuff, but it was much smaller than I. And, and, and in fact, yeah. there's a picture of my sister and I were at the front door of Graceland. Actually, I have it. The front gates, yeah. <laughs> no, not the front gates. The actual uh, front door. <laughs> it doesn't even look special. But oh, in fact, I found the picture, and I'm like, "What? Why are we posing in front of this door? Well, whose door is this?" And then I thought, "Oh, yeah, right. It was Elvis's door. That's it." <laughs> Well, my my favorite part of the movie was that beginning sequence of the, the just wonderful juxtaposition that was done between Elvis's first experience of kind of black soul movement. Yeah, peeking under the tent, right? The yeah, big, yeah. And, and it would show him shaking and moving yeah. as a child, and then it would cut to him on the stage. And you know, there were there was so much speculation about just why he's doing that. But truly, I think he really was just an innocent, just doing what was natural to him. It was in his body. It was in his blood. It was in his veins. It was coursing through the music, the spiritualness of it. It was just all there. That man was incredible. It was so unpremeditated. Yeah, it, yeah. He, it was natural for him. Yeah. What do you think, Ron? And, uh, well, speaking of biopics, again, um, that interestingly, that first part, the childhood and everybody's life is what people find the most interesting. You know, the drug addict, and all the other stuff later, you know, people don't care about as much. But what they did as kids and how, you know, during those formative years, they became what we ultimately in the public knew them to be. It's the backstory. It's the backstory. And that's so important when you're writing a script is what is the backstory, right? Right. How did you get to where that character is today? What caused the motivation? What drives them? 
what's their really dark secret? What do they, you know, what's their deep sorrow, right? right. All of that we find out about Elvis. Right. We know that he, he was a twin yes. and a twin died. And that mother, you know, I think that the mother, we, we all can so quickly and easily villainize um, the colonel. I mean, obviously, right? But I want to say that that mother had a, a very insidious kind of influence on him too. I mean, Anything he did, she wasn't happy with, and she was guilting him all the time. Well, they portrayed the father strange, too. The father was like this, you know, spineless person, too. That was kind of interesting as well. He felt he had to protect his image. Yeah. And the father lived into, what, the 80s, 90s? So he lived long after his son had ultimately died. That's right. I think it was a great watch, though long. Yeah, it was disturbing for me. I I love the first part, but I really didn't go in there thinking that it was going to be about how the colonel just friggin' monopolized his life. Right. Held him in chains in Vegas. Ugh. Anyhow, we're going to have more about the Borrego Film Festival coming up. Oh, my God, it was so much fun. I tell you, you know, if, there, if you're a screenwriter in San Diego and you are thinking about entering a competition, think Borrego, because this is the one where if you're selected, if your film is selected, you get a packed audience in the Performing Arts Center over there to sit down and watch it. I can't tell you how rare that is. It's just phenomenal. And that's what happens at the Borrego Film Festival. We'll have more with Fred G. coming up. You're listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. Recently, I was in Borrego Springs for the 10th Annual Film Festival, and I had a chance to speak with film festival founder Fred G. He explains why Borrego is considered a favorite on Film Freeway. Out of the 10,000 film festival that are administered by Film Freeway, we're in the top 100. Really? Yeah, and we've been there for the last three years. Why? Because the filmmakers who grade and review the film festivals they go to, uh, our filmmakers have pretty much given us five-star ratings because they feel supported. We definitely give them a good screen. We give them an audience. We tell them we, we respect their art and we respect them as an artist. And uh, they feel that it's genuine. It's not phony baloney. And we go out of our way to make the uh, event as as interesting and as enjoyable as we can without uh, trying to, to do any glitzy commercialism or anything. Because we're not Palm Springs or Tribeca or Sundance or anything where studios are trying to sell their big films. We don't have that capability. Uh, and we don't have that clientele. So our clientele that come here, they're here to see the films. They want to see a good story. They want to interact with the filmmakers that are here. They want to hear, how did you do that? Right. You know, or, and the questions you see at the uh, Q&As uh, are kind of reflective that the audience is, oh, that was a nice film. No, they're asking, well, how did you get the, the, the background or the motivation to get that character? To, you know, they're getting into the story. Right. And they're really asking those questions. And uh, from that standpoint, the filmmakers in the past have felt that one, this is a very intelligent audience, and two, they feel that their stuff is looked at really, and they're being engaged mm-hmm. as, a, uh, as an auteur. They're, they're saying, well, how did sure. you do that? I mean, it's like, you know, let's have a conversation with uh, Kurosawa, mm-hmm. you know? And we go, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, but most of the folks here are just really starting out. Mm-hmm. They're going for the film festival circuit. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get screen time. 
Uh, hopefully, they might be able to make some distribution deals uh, in the future mm-hmm. with uh, what's going on uh, with the more film festivals they do or the bigger film that they develop from the last film. Mm-hmm. And they hope they grow. You know, whatever f- project you did before, take from that that was successful, put it into something bigger and longer, and uh, and maybe that's something that's, quote, might be sellable. Mm-hmm. But I, I know most of these folks, they're doing it for their, for their art. Hey, Fred. Hey, how you doing, Dewey? Good, how are you? <laughs> okay. Sorry. That's anyway. okay, you're popular. What can I say, Fred? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, 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 you know, we, we had a, uh, a uh, filmmaker last night, and she's talking about her, her short film, and they were asking her about her budget and everything. She said, it was about 35 grand. And she says, wow, yes, where'd you get that funding? It was hers. It was for the love of the art, the love of the, making the project, the commitment and uh, and the drive that you got to have if you're gonna, if you're going to be a filmmaker, you got to some drive mm-hmm. to keep you going from all the adversities that come down the line mm-hmm. to keep you from making the film, you know, or the finishing the project, or even for the script writer, just finishing the script, right? It Absolutely. gets really basic. Oh yeah, I mean, every good script writer out there is going to be frustrated because they they want to do something that you think is going to have a certain image that's being developed from the words. Mm-hmm. It don't always happen. And as it happens with the studios, uh, you know, the, the joke is once the script screenplay has been bought, they kick the screenwriter out <laughs> because they're going to take it apart, right. literally, because they're going to make it as visible and as effectively cinematic as possible in order to sell the movie. Right. You know, and that's a little hard to take. Mm-hmm. You know, I can imagine, you know, you're, you're doing uh, something from Ernest Hemingway and you, you buy the rights to a particular book and then you kick them out of the studio? <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, though, I can feel the love here. When I walked in to this format, the venue is great, the Performing Arts Center here in Borrego Springs. Uh, what you've done to the lobby, uh, it looks like a studio. It looks like, I don't know, part yeah. of the Academy Awards back room oh, or that, something. That's, that's Matt. That's Matt's uh, yeah. doing. He's... Uh, He's got the eye yeah. for the design, and right. his, his wife, she's the, the graphic designer oh, that beautiful. puts a lot of the, like, the booklets that we have yeah. like that. She designed all that. Yeah. She designed this. Yeah, you know? beautiful. And it, it's, that collaborative effort is what keeps uh, everything kind of fresh. Yeah. yeah. Very fresh. Yeah, very hip, Fred. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, you know. <laughs> so is there anything that I did not ask that you would like to tell the San Diego screenwriters who are striving to break into Hollywood or trying to get their film into the right festival? I would say have yourself a very good backbone of the story that you want to tell. But think in terms of, okay, if I'm going to have somebody with some conflict here, one, you got to know who are they so that character identification, but two, what is it that's causing them to have the conflict? You know, is there a backstory? Uh, is it a, something suddenly happens like Armageddon or... Inciting the, incident, yeah. Yeah, because mm-hmm. now they have to have something that causes the conflict. Mm-hmm. And then, what is it about the person or persons that allows them to resolve the conflict? Mm-hmm. You know, is it their intellect, their past action uh, capabilities, their their uh, past experiences and like that. And you, you weave it so that whoever's reading it, or in this case, watching it on the screen, you say, oh, I get it. 
thank you for being part of the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. Well, thank you. Uh, lovely to meet you. We'll come back, please. Oh, oh we'll be back. Definitely oh, be back. Yeah. This has been great. Okay. And that does it for the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. We're going to just touch on final thoughts today on biopics we've discussed with the Whitney Houston film, I Want to Dance with Somebody, and Elvis Presley's biopic, Elvis. Anything to say on that? Just that our hearts go out to the Presley family and especially Lisa Marie's three children. Yes. Raul. Biopics. I'm going to be doing a video for the Roger Maris Museum in Fargo, North Dakota, his hometown. Great. And there's a little museum there, and there's going to be a streaming video out in front that people can walk up and listen to and watch. People then want to go inside and see more, they can. And you know what? We want to thank Borrego Film Festival founder Fred G for sitting down and talking with us and all the other film writers that I saw out there. Uh, Their interviews will be coming up upcoming episodes on the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. We have several of them. I gotta tell you, one takes on youth suicide. There's some, another guy does, uh, he gets all his footage from found film, found footage and uses that to compile. There's so many great ways and I'm picking up all these tips. We're bringing them back to you here at the San Diego Screenwriter Studio on KNSJ, San Diego's only social justice network. Oh, thank you.